We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi guys, Colin Kelly here, executive producer of Rotoviz Radio and co-host of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast with Sean Siegel. We are closing in on 200 episodes and it's competition time, but more on that in just a moment. I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, as always, you can save yourself 10% off a Rotoviz NFL pass. All you need to do is enter that code RVRADIO2021 at checkout on the website or go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. You can get all the access to all of the great tools on the site, all of the content. Get yourself ready to win your fantasy championships this upcoming season. I mentioned competition time. Well, now here's the news. 200 episodes coming up here for myself and Sean. We're giving away some Rotoviz subscriptions. It's super simple to enter. Just drop a five-star review for Rotoviz Overtime on your favorite podcast app for a chance to win. The top prize is a three-month subscription and an appearance on a future Rotoviz Overtime podcast to get a talk with myself and Sean. Already have a Rotoviz subscription? Thank you for that. But don't worry, if you win, we'll add it on to your current subscription. So what are you waiting for? Drop that review today for the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. And of course, when you're there, drop a rating for today's show as well that you're listening along to. Thanks as always for being a loyal podcast listener on Rotoviz Radio. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Travis May, and you can find me on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M and at Titan Travis on Clubhouse. If you're joining us for the first time, College to Canton is a show about the journey of the best football players and prospects from being a college football recruit all the way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and whether they should be in there or not. We always talk about some fantasy football since this is a Rotoviz radio podcast, but we also make sure to dive into some real college football and NFL analysis too. 
And in case you missed it, uh, the NFL draft is finally here. Uh, not that anyone is actually talking about that, but uh, all the arguing over Justin Fields, over Mac Jones, over Trey Lance, and you know, virtually every other draft position debate is about to come to an end, thankfully. And every year after we find out how the NFL values our favorite players, it's easy to overreact and you know completely shuffle around our boards based on landing spot or based on their their final draft capital uh, and really completely change our fantasy po- football draft boards based on just one weekend and sometimes that makes sense to do I mean like sometimes there's crazy new information we have to digest but most of the time we as a football nerd community overreact and in a way kind of double count draft capital in our analysis which I'll, if you don't know what that means I'll get more into that in a second but uh, more than anything with this episode whether you're listening before or after the NFL draft uh, it should help you properly read and react to the actual draft capital of your favorite or or least favorite uh, prospects correctly. So to help me dive into this, break this down, I'm actually joined by a buddy of mine, Mike Taglier at Mike Taglier NFL on Twitter. He is the lead NFL writer and analyst for Fantasy Pros and the co-host of the Fantasy Bros. Fantasy Froze. <laughs> oh, man. Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. He is also, you know, I didn't notice this. I was actually looking at your bio, Mike. You, you're you a top six ranker in the Fantasy Pros Accuracy Contest. And and I'm, I'm assuming you didn't like stack the odds in your favor, did, did you? No, I wish they did, though. I mean, it'd be nice if Fantasy Pros <laughs> would throw me a bone. But no, they make me earn it. A little, uh, little home cooking. <laughs> It's been a couple of years, unfortunately, like uh, this past year, I think I finished number 18. Uh, so I was happy with the finish because we keep adding more and more analysts to the, the mix. And it's like, I think we're over 150 now. So wow. uh, a lot of sharp guys in there. So it's really difficult to finish up there. So I- I'm proud of finishing top six a couple of times. Yeah, man. And as we were talking about this yesterday, it's been cool to just see the growth of fantasy pros in general, just as a, as a brand and a, as a a go-to for so many in the fantasy football community, whether you're just getting into fantasy football for the first time or you've been around forever, you know fantasy pros. I mean, it's just really cool to see that grow and all the experts that get involved and really the industry as a whole continuing to grow. It's just been a lot of fun. Uh, and it's cool just to see you a part of that and, um, having so much success there, having some fun, uh, some, some great guys that you're adding to your team in the last, last year or so. I love Kyle Yates and like the whole crew. Uh, I met Joe, you know, uh, with you and him on the podcast, doing some NFL draft stuff this year. Just uh, been a lot of fun. So thanks for letting me be a part of that process, talking some rookies with you guys every single year. Oh, no, it's fun, man. I mean, I just love being able to talk to so many different people. I think that's one of the cool things about our podcast is that, you know, it's not just our opinions because, right, you know, we yeah. can have a show like that. But at the same time, when you when you bring in other people, it just brings up different opinions that you may not have heard because in our industry, it's really difficult to listen to a million different podcasts while trying to get your work done and actually develop <laughs> some sort of opinion for yourself. So uh, yeah. I definitely enjoy the podcast having guys like yourself on. Oh, yeah. It can easily become an echo chamber and uh, we can run in circles and argue about uh, the same thing a thousand different ways and say the same exact thing, essentially. But one of those areas that I'm seeing over and over and over that I think we probably have to get to uh, is Justin Fields. And like, you know, the fact that there's all this noise back and forth. He's going to be the pick. He's going to the 49ers. And then, oh, you know, he's completely out of the discussion. And oh, it's down to Mac Jones and Trey Lance. And there's so many different conflicting opinions. Uh, all the betting lines are going up and down and back and forth and in the same uh, set of you know 24 hours just completely changing uh, and obviously this debate is going to be ended here soon as to who is actually going to be the third quarterback off the board uh, but it looks like it's going to be Trevor Lawrence first going to the Jaguars and Zach Wilson going second to the Jets and I know you and I have talked about this I know you even talked about it on your own podcast but 
Uh, I would love to hear why Justin Fields should be the quarterback too in this draft from somebody who is not myself. I just don't understand where the hate came from for Justin Fields. I mean, you go back a couple months ago uh, and people were talking about Justin Fields competing with Trevor Lawrence for the number one pick. And then all of a sudden things just fall apart. And I, I don't really understand where it happened. I don't know where all the love for Zach Wilson came. When I started scouting this, 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 this class, I saw Zach Wilson. And I was like, you know, there's some good things about him. Ultra quick release. You know, he does recognize the defense pretty quickly. I think his accuracy is overrated. Um, I yeah. think so many people attribute him have accuracy, but I think it comes down to the level of competition that he played at BYU. When you start thinking about level of competition, that stuff matters. It just makes you look better. If I go play basketball <laughs> with a bunch of 10 year olds, I'm going to look like a stud. <laughs> if I play with a bunch of guys my age, I'm going to look like an idiot um, just because I don't play basketball that often. So it's just like you have to take, uh, you know, the the competition into consideration, whereas Justin Fields at Ohio State, you know, there's obviously, you know, he has a path to success there. But at the same time, it's all about the tools they have. You know, Zach Wilson's got a big arm. Justin Fields also has a big arm. I would say Justin Fields is dead nuts accurate. The only thing that Justin Fields, you know, like his accuracy reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson when you look downfield. But the reason that he's not Russell Wilson is because once he once he takes a little bit of heat in the pocket, he becomes a runner. Yeah. Uh, whereas someone like Russell Wilson, why he's so special is because he can become a runner, but he more keeps his eyes down the field the entire time while evading that pressure. Um, and then you'll see Justin Fields, sometimes have a little tunnel vision where, you know, I, I, I'm from Chicago, moved to Tennessee recently where I got to watch Jay Cutler for a long time. Cutler had all the physical tools, but when it came to tunnel vision a little bit, sometimes he would miss that floating safety coming over. And it, it's not that he wasn't accurate. It was just that he didn't see that guy. And then he came across and it was an easy interception. Uh, so that's the things, those are the negatives to Justin Fields, but what he has arm strength, accuracy, mobility, you can't teach a lot of those things. And while Zach Wilson has, a lot of similar tools. I would rather take Justin Fields because he did it on a, on a much longer, a bigger sample size, and he did it against better competition than Zach Wilson. So I would I be shocked if Justin Fields goes number two overall on Thursday night? I tweeted it out today. <laughs> I would love to watch the be... draft world burn because we're all going to be wrong, and sometimes we have to just like take a step back and say, hey, we knew we were going to be wrong. It's a, let's enjoy it for what it is because the Jets really haven't said anything. They haven't come forward and said, yep, we're taking Zach Wilson. It's just been assumed that they're taking Wilson and we expect them to. And the draft for most people starts at three, but you can bet your, your bet your bottom dollar that I will be paying attention when, when that pick number two is made. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned a lot of things about Zach Wilson. I'm, I'm concerned. He basically looked well, frankly, awful, uh, just a year prior and then just magically, you know, faces a barely top 100 defensive schedule and looks amazing. That's great. But uh, yeah, it's it's crazy to me that it's just a consensus that Justin Fields is not only not the second best quarterback, but dropping below guys like Mac Jones, dropping below guys like Trey Lance. So, I mean, where if you had to you know, just say, hey, this is where Justin Fields is getting drafted. Where would you say he gets drafted this Thursday? I mean, I my mock, my final mock draft, I came out with it. It came out earlier today, and uh, I put him to the Denver Broncos. I had them flop, switching spots with the Lions at seven, uh, just moving up two spots to get him uh, because I think you're going to start getting into the territory because once you fall to that territory, it's it's – it shouldn't be too, too hard for a team like the Patriots, like Washington, like the Bears to maybe try and trade up at that point. Because what San Francisco did when they made that trade, you know, over a month ago now is they reset the trade market and it's going to be impossible for teams to trade up into there because of how much they gave up. Teams just don't have that equity available. So you're going to be looking if Justin Fields falls, if, if Mac Jones, if Trey Lance, if those guys fall, you're going to look for teams like the Bears, like Washington to potentially trade up because it's going to be a much smaller price to pay. And it 
it, it just if if the 49ers take Mac Jones there, I swear <laughs> it's gonna look terrible. And, and it's not to say that Mac Jones can't be good with Kyle Shanahan. Let me be clear. Kyle Shanahan is an offensive mind. And I, I believe that he's going to make most quarterbacks look better than they rightfully are. It's kind of like Sean McVay did with Jared Goff for a long time. And then, you know, the, the wheels kind of fell off there. Mac Jones can be competent under Kyle Shanahan, and he might make some people look foolish for for making fun of Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah. I don't like Mac Jones. and I don't think you trade up to number three to take a quarterback like Mac Jones when he was projected to fall into the teens. Now, if you wanted to trade up with a team like Detroit at number seven, we obviously know Detroit – they, they need some more picks. They need to rebuild that roster. No big deal. You could trade up to seven. You could trade up to number six. We They were able to do that because when that trade was made, Philadelphia was clearly willing to trade out of that number six spot. So because obviously Philly, they flipped back to 12 with the Dolphins. Yeah. So they were willing to move. So six and seven, you could have gotten Mac Jones there. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Things. I don't get it at all. I mean, it's been interesting just because you look at the competition questions that Zach Wilson and Trey Lance have, and then the difference in mobility between yep. Mac Jones and Justin Fields. And it just looks like the obvious answer is Justin Fields. He has every question you might ask about uh, the guys that are in contention for that third pick or even the second slot with Zach Wilson. It feels like Justin Fields should win that argument, but he doesn't for a lot of people, apparently, or at least one NFL team or two NFL teams. But is there any, I guess, any slot where any of these top five quarterbacks could drop where you would, you know, begin to adjust your rankings outside of, you know, just differences in, in the landing spot? No, I mean, when you look at the teams that are potentially there to take them, uh, you look at Denver, obviously, the surrounding cast there. I think there's a reason that we're kind of secretly inside rooting for someone like <laughs> yeah. Justin Fields to go to Denver because Jerry Judy's phenomenal. Cortland Sutton coming back. You have Noah Fant. Like, that team has, like, crazy amounts of skill they have a decent offensive line in place uh so i would love to see justin fields go to denver um <laughs> you know but you look at the other teams that are potential there um washington they have a few good skill position players we know that scott turner has not he's not shied away from throwing the ball even with bad quarterbacks yeah, so i would true. love that landing spot chicago is one that i might I, I want to say I might downgrade him a little bit like a quarterback if they were to get a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance because I've lost all faith in Matt Nagy. And yeah. again, this is someone that that moved from Illinois. Um, so you, Matt you Nagy, might, when he went to the Bears, a little, little I was sick excited. of it. <laughs> I was excited about Matt Nagy coming to the Bears because Andy Reid had said a lot of good things saying he's the most ready you know, assistant that I've ever had, blah, blah, blah. And he did fine his first year. And I had I had a friend of mine was telling me, he's like, I think there's a lot of trickery and I think teams are going to catch up. And Nagy just became predictable. And he yeah. basically anytime that Cordell Patterson, once he once he got Cordell Patterson on his team, it went to crap. Uh, <laughs> Cordell Patterson came on the field. You knew exactly what was coming. Yeah. Uh, drafting and trading up to get Anthony Miller and not utilizing him to his strengths. Anthony Miller is a good NFL wide receiver. Um, they just don't want to use him in that way. You know, Mike Davis having him on board, cutting him, drafting David Montgomery. There is so much I can get into with this whole Bears regime and what is wrong with them. Uh, but what I will say is that I've lost faith in Matt Nagy as a play caller, and I worry about that. So, But here's the thing. If the play calling goes awry again and if they have another you know, sub-500 season, because there is no more 500 season. You know, no. it's 7-10 it's and 10 now? Yeah, right? well, yeah, whatever it is there. Yeah, with that extra game. Right. So what you're saying is you're not betting on Andy Dalton, and uh, you're, not, <laughs> you're not betting on uh, Matt Nagy to – Ride the ship for the Bears. So hopefully no, no quarterback drops that far, I guess. Right. And if he will, if he does fall there, I don't think he's falling there. I think the Bears would have to trade up to get him. And I don't even know if Ryan Pace has the ability to trade up right now. I think he'd have to get everything okayed through Bears ownership because he's on yeah. the hot seat. Uh, yeah. So 
you know, but but again, it's if Matt Nagy struggles again, that's only one year. So I'm not going to dock those quarterbacks too much because that means they're going to have another head coach coming in. It's just another unknown. So I would dock him a little bit, but not a whole lot. Yeah, for sure. Well, Justin Fields, back to him real quick. I mean, he's got the like right now, according to one of my favorite tools in all of the industry, it's called Grinding the Mocks. Uh, it's a tool that puts it's put together by Benjamin Robinson every single year. It's been one of the best tools out there, just projecting expected draft position. He essentially built this tool uh, where you can find it at uh, grindingthemocks.shinyapps.io. Uh, that, uh, seriously, or you could just Google grinding the mocks. That'd be easier uh, than remembering what I just said. But essentially, he pulls uh, mock drafts from all around the internet, scrapes all this data from literally thousands of data points because over the past few months, there have been mock drafts on mock drafts on mock drafts uh, and pools all this information to give us these expected outcomes of where all of our favorite players could be taken. And so right now, based on the recent mocks and based on uh, you know thousands of data points, Justin Fields, his expected draft position is six. So you you had him at seven. You know, it looks like that would be, you know, some kind of trade up situation. And, and most sports books have him around seven and a half right now as well for Justin Fields. So it looks like he's probably not dropping below that point. And I doubt really any of these guys drop past pick 10 because of well, generally just how the consensus is viewed on all these guys. If you look at the the uh, grinding the mocks tool, there are five quarterbacks in the top seven overall right now. Like that is just crazy to me looking at all the the hundreds and thousands of data points that we have on all these guys and the consensus just being that all five of these guys are worth a top 10 NFL draft pick. Let's move on to the mention. I, I said it earlier, just kind of in passing, but this idea of double counting draft capital. And what I mean by that is in a way it's, it's kind of confirmation bias uh, in one way or the other. Like take, for instance, we have an expected outcome. We're expecting player A to be drafted in round one, and then he's drafted in round one. And then we're like, see, I was right. And then we move him up our draft board, even though nothing really happened other than what we already expected. <laughs> or say a guy misses out on day two draft capital, and he was on the fringe of being a day two guy anyway. And uh, we move him way down our draft boards because, oh, see, I was right. He, you know, he, he's not good enough. The NFL doesn't like him. And that can lead to all sorts of uh, overreactions and how we rank these rookie players and, and how we kind of project their short term and even long term uh, NFL futures. And so I, I think we have to work uh, consciously and intentionally to make sure we're not overreacting to when a player meets our expectations uh, at their expected draft position. And so I'm going to be alluding to that tool, that grinding the mocks tool, because it basically is the best tool out there to give us an idea of where the consensus currently is on these players. And diving first into the top three consensus wide receivers, you know, guys that are almost locks to get first round draft capital at the wide receiver position. Jamar Chase expected to be drafted around pick four. Uh, Devontae Smith at pick nine and Jalen Waddle pick 12. Uh, these guys have been really for a very long time. We knew they were going to be drafted probably in the first round. So I'm going to have to be careful not to overreact when I see Jamar Chase get drafted and he's paired up with Joe Burrow, <laughs> you know, for a college LSU reunion. Uh, but really, like, that's just one of the most commonly expected outcomes. And so I've, I've got to know, OK, he's my wide receiver one, but I'm not going to create this new tier just because he just landed in the exact same spot that I thought he would. Like, do you ever find yourself struggling to do that? Like with, especially with players you're, you're especially passionate about Mike. 
Yeah, no, there's players like uh, like last year, Donovan Peoples-Jones was someone I liked. And, um, you know, when you, it, it can go vice versa, too. It can go both ways with this double counting in terms of like, you know, when you it's confirmation like, oh, I knew Jalen Waddle was going to yeah. go this high. Well, yeah. if he goes to Detroit, Jared Goff is he can't throw the deep ball. So that's yeah. really going to hurt Jalen Waddle's projection. Exactly. So that's that's the team that I would move him down a little bit, even though he was valued properly because Jalen Waddle is going to be a star. Um, but it goes the other it goes the other way too, though, because like you look at someone like um, Nikhil Harry, for example, you know the Patriots. You go back to that year. I was not high on Nikhil Harry uh, in that draft class. I didn't like him, uh, but a lot of people did. They had him as their wide receiver one, and they and then he goes to the Patriots, and everybody's like, "Oh, there it is." I did bump him up because he got for, he was drafted in the first round. Yeah. Um, however, I wasn't willing to go all in because obviously I wasn't high on him. Whereas everybody else used that a reason to bump him up again. Oh, now he exactly. gets to go play with Tom Brady. Where in reality, Tom Brady, he's not a guy that threw in a tight separation very often. You know, he didn't trust Nikhil Harry and Nikhil Harry wasn't even on the field very much when he was there. So um, it can go both ways. Uh, you have to you do have to adjust, though, uh, as, as an analyst. It's like. Just because I like a player, it doesn't mean a team likes a player. And if a team, if a player that I like, for example, falls, you know, into the fifth or sixth round as a wide receiver, it's like I have to lower my expectations because <laughs> yeah. it's very rare for a wide receiver that's drafted in the fifth or the sixth round to get playing opportunity without tons of injuries in front of him or or just being a complete outlier because that stuff just rarely happens like donovan people's jones played really well for the browns last year but how many injuries did it take for him to actually get on the field and make those a few splash plays you know what i mean True. so so that's the thing is like you have to adjust draft equity does matter um based on studies i've done i do it every year i look at production uh, based on the round you were drafted in and wide receivers it seems like if you're drafted in the first or second round it's relatively Sim, it's very similar in terms of the opportunity you get right out of the gate. But once you get into that third and fourth round, it's like opportunity goes down. It's like <laughs> sixth, seventh, you're just like, oof. I mean, you just want that guy to make a roster at that point, and you're just hoping that he gets a chance to shine uh, because it's just rare for those guys to happen. And when they do, people are going to be shouting from the rooftops, say, I told you, I told you. But in reality, <laughs> they're missing all those players that they that they talked about that didn't really work out. So um, exactly. it's just understanding that stuff. And I love how you brought it up just because people will use that as confirmation basis, uh, bias, but you have to factor in where the player goes in the draft. And you have to, you know, if – if, if a player was drafted to a team that was, you know, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, you know, they draft a third wide receiver. Let's say they drafted Jamar Chase just for, you know, just for fun. <laughs> just for kicks. It's not, yeah. <laughs> his value out of the gate is not going to be very good just because he's really the third option on that team. Whereas if you go to a team, you know, like, uh, let's say Philadelphia, that team is lacking a number one wide receiver. Um, so you, you do have to factor that in for, for, in, I know you're talking, you're more Debbie dynasty type stuff where it's yeah. like that that's one year. So you don't really want to take too, you don't want to put too much emphasis on that, but it really comes down to whether or not your team is rebuilding. Is your team competing? How much should you be willing to trade to move up to grab that player? Because you're expecting him to produce right away. All that stuff matters. It's very small differences, but in the end, you know, talent is talent. And most of the time it's going to shine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, what's what's funny, though, it's, it's just so funny how it does so much come down to the opportunity thing. So, yes, it's awesome. Oh, great. This player got first round capital. See, everyone else right. But it's it is it has to do with the nuance and the opportunity. And one of the, uh, the greats, uh, one of the founders, actually, of uh, rotoviz.com, Frank, um, he actually he used to talk about how uh, talent, you know, at this level, at the NFL level, being far flatter than we actually pretend that it is. And that yep. most of like what we see and like what we think is talent is actually just opportunity. 
And so no matter how passionate I am about a said player that lands in a, a, in a spot that might lead to some opportunity in the round in round four, historically speaking, uh, I probably shouldn't rank them above like a, a round one running back or even, you know, like a, or around a guy or round two, early round two wide receiver at the same position. Like we have to look at historical trends. And, you know, I mean, at Rotoviz, we care about data. We care about historical trends, historical hit rates and uh, predictive uh, analytics. And so uh, the draft really matters. And and if you want to try to build any kind of model to help predict future NFL outcomes, like draft capital, for the most part, predicts more than, you know, 99% of any kind of model that somebody wants to build just by itself. Yep. And so that's, that's what makes it so confusing because when there are guys that are picked, you know, right next to each other, back to back to back, what do you do? And so I think that's, that's going to be an interesting situation when we look at the running backs this year, uh, sorting through the top three big names like Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams. Right now, the expected draft position, according to the grinding the mocks, thousands of mock drafts and recent mock drafts, Najee Harris is slotted with an expected draft position around pick 23. Travis Etienne around pick 33 and Javante Williams around pick 42. Albeit just in the past few days, the gap is narrowing and narrowing and narrowing between those three. It could even be that we see them just go one, two, three, back to back to back. So at what point, I mean, is there any point where, you know, one of them, if one of them drops out, you're ranking them down or um, that changes things for you, or maybe even with Javante Williams, like if he's actually the first one taken, you know, a la, you know, no one expected this to be the case with, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, like last year. So a la Clyde Edwards Hilaire leapfrogging some guys who are supposed to go ahead of him. D- does that change things for you if they're all picked around, you know, pick 25 to 42? Yeah, no, I love how you brought up Clyde Edwards because uh, I was, he was actually my number one running back last year. So to see him go in the first, I, I can tell you, Travis, I was on our live stream and I was celebrating. I was just dancing. Um, just, it was a, it see? was a good time. And that was that confirmation bias, you know, where it's like, oh, I knew it. I, you know, see, I told and you guys pretty okay. much. Yeah. Um, but in reality, you do have to bake that stuff in. And if, if one of the will it change ranking, if they all go in round two, not so much. You're going to look at situation. You're going to look at opportunity, the other running backs in the roster. But if a running back goes in the first round, he's getting opportunity out of the game. Yeah. And the reason that I think it's possible we see multiple running backs go in the first round, nobody wants to say it, but there's so many teams that want to trade out. We've been hearing that nonstop throughout this draft cycle is that there's so much uncertainty about the players, no combine, no medical exams, no in-person meets. So teams want to trade out. And what's one of the things about running backs that the reason that they go at the end of the first round is because they get that fifth year option with that player. Running backs we know are in their prime once they take a step on the NFL field. They're in their prime. They're going to be used. They're going to be abused. And they're rarely going to get a big second contract. So, So when you have a team like the Jets, the Falcons, the Dolphins, who are all there at the top of the second round, the, the Dolphins have a lot of equity in future year picks, so they can really move up. Uh, they can use some of that to move back into the first round to get that fifth-year option with one of these running backs like a Najee Harris, like a Travis Etienne. I don't think Javante Williams is going to get there. Um, you know, we only really we saw one big, big year out of him, and obviously it was, it was in a timeshare, so do teams worry about that? Do they wonder if he's that timeshare back, whereas Najee Harris is more like, that dude is like the 20 plus touch back that you're going to use in all three downs. You don't have any concerns about him. Uh, that guy reminds me a little bit of Adrian Peterson. And that's, that's a high comp and I understand that, but 
I love Najee Harris, and I believe that he's he should be the first running back. Travis Etienne is built for today's NFL as well. He's a three-down back that has improved every step along the way. The receiving downs he had a couple of years ago, getting better as a receiver. Uh, but Javante Williams, I do think that the 40-yard dash time that he posted his pro day is a bit concerning to NFL teams. And I, I'm saying that because pro day numbers were so inflated this year. It was stupid. It was the yeah. dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like we we knew that was going to happen. We knew that they were going to be inflated numbers when it came to the forty. So when you see a higher number, that should worry you a little bit more. Um, I know he's not he's not a speed back or anything like that. He's more of that power back. But I, if if he goes in the first round, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm going to move him up. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I am, too, especially as I mean, we love seeing guys who uh, declare early. Uh, and it's funny that, you know, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are both fourth year guys like they would have been top guys last year, but they, they chose to stay and, uh, you know, join a ridiculously terrible draft class at running back and say, hey, maybe I'll just bet on myself because I looking ahead next year. Everything everyone's bad. And they were right. This this is not a great uh, in-depth draft class at the running back position. But it's funny, it, just analytically speaking, if if all three of them sneak into the back end of running uh, of round one, Javante Williams will have probably the best historical comps of the three. But yeah, it, it is it is interesting just to see him check in a little bit wider and a little bit slower than you want to uh, see a guy at the pro day, you know, around four, five, five at 212 pounds, not the best size speed score uh, around. And in fact, this you know, most positions were just blazing this year yeah. in the pro days, but there were actually a lot of slow running backs this year. It was it was weird. Just like I, I was especially given how skinny and small some of these guys were. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah he's going to he's going to. OK, we're going to see all these guys going to be like four, three. But even the small guys were not coming in crazy fast. I was kind of surprised there. But Javante Williams, man. Uh, yeah, I. It, It'll be interesting to see where he actually goes because he's he's the one that wasn't the slam dunk coming into the year. And now he's in this same tier for many people uh, that that there seems to be a hard drop off. But is there any point at which you uh, drop any of these guys down? Like if they drop outside around two, is that is that a huge concern for you? Uh, I mean, if they drop outside of round two, yes, um, that's something that really does. Like, again, I've uh, that study that I do in terms of like yeah. opportunity that you get based on where you're drafted. I remember last year, Keyshawn Vaughn. It was the big thing that everybody <laughs> Keyshawn Vaughn's the running back you want, not Ronald Jones, not Leonard. Ford. <laughs> I was like, well, he was a third round pick. I mean, yeah. like if you if you look at third Barely. round picks and you, you break down the touches and everything like that, especially with Bruce Arians, he doesn't really trust rookies right out. Of- We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, so it really made no sense. Uh, so it will definitely factor in. But running backs, it's it's really all about opportunity. 
Uh, oh, yeah. So if they have opportunity, like even if he's a bad running back, like he's going to be worth something. So um, the, the running back position, <laughs> it's such a short shelf life. You need to adjust based on situation. Oh, absolutely. And we'll get into some more of these uh, double counting debates and other guys that we've seen changing and, you know, their outlook might change for us depending on their draft capital on the other side. But first, a word from our sponsors. Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash RotoViz now. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication's appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash RotoViz and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash RotoViz now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash RotoViz. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. And we're back. And so we've talked about some of the top three names at running backs and the top three names at wide receiver, why everyone's wrong about Justin Fields. Uh, let's get into a guy that everyone's also wrong about, but in the other direction. And that is Kadarius Tony, because he's such a terrible prospect in terms of like, <laughs> it's just crazy to me. Like by the numbers, there's basically no argument for him making it in the NFL. And the only thing that could possibly redeem his profile is first round NFL draft capital. And right now, his expected draft position, according to grinding the mocks and that tool, and I think he's actually been in 869 mocks uh, since the data collection began, uh, he's he's looking like he's going around pick 30. And so if he sneaks into first round capital, it's like, what do we do? It's a terrible analytical profile. He, he peaked at like 22% of uh, receiving yard market share for Florida. Uh, you know, in, in his final season, you know, he's like this converted quarterback to utility player to wide receiver to maybe he's a slot in the pros. Like, what are you doing and, and where do you expect Kadarius Tony to be drafted? Uh, Kadarius Tony, I just looked it up. I have him going at 49 overall to the Cardinals um, just because they're a team that uses a lot of four wide receiver sets. We haven't. Um, 20% of the time, actually, they're in four wide receiver sets. Like, there's only one other team in the NFL that's over 5%. So it's kind of ridiculous just how much they run that. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, we haven't heard anything about him and whether or not he's going to retire. You have DeAndre Hopkins. You have A.J. Green on the perimeter. You're, I, I would imagine they're going to move Christian Kirk into the slot, and then they're going to have two slot receivers where uh, Kadarius Tony, AJ, AJ Green is basically would be the number four receiver for them. Is basically how it would work. Isn't that weird? Um, That's so weird. It is weird. It is weird, and it sucks <laughs> because I was a big AJ Green fan for a long time, but he's Seriously. he's done. I mean, he just hit yeah. that point where it's just he didn't. He wasn't the same player. Um, but that's where I have Tony going. And to me, with with someone like Kadarius Tony, I'm not a big I'm not big on him just because I believe he's the type of receiver that. 
you don't build your offense around. You basically need an offense that's going to fit him in and suit his strengths. Yeah. And, you know, you need certain play callers to do that. So if he goes to a team like Arizona that uses heavy wide receivers, I could I could definitely see him having some fantasy viability. Uh, if he goes to a team like uh, the Saints, you know, Sean Payton would understand how to use a player like Kadarius Toney. If he goes to some team like the Bears, I have zero faith He's that done. Matt Nagy will understand Career how to use him. Career is over. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Miller is a better football player than Kadarius Tony. Yeah, that's that's what I believe. Um, yeah. But they haven't been able to utilize him to his strengths. So it he's he's a he's very dependent on his play caller. So he's someone that I don't think he's going to go in the first round. I know we've seen some mock drafts with him going there. I think Elijah Moore is someone that's probably going to go over him uh, after we heard reports. I think it was Tom Pelissero. I think I'm not positive on that, but basically someone that said uh, every NFL team they talked to had Elijah Moore basically just outside that big wide receiver tier Dude. as their number four receiver in this love class. It. Now love that by the way, <laughs> I Elijah Moore is a football player. Yeah. Okay. I, like, we'll, when we'll I was watching, <laughs> Travis, now tell me what you think about this. I watched his film and I actually wondered while watching it, does some team kind of view him as like a third down back, like that they could use him in like somewhat of a Chris Thompson type role because he's a very natural ball, like ball catcher. I mean, oh, yeah. I don't even know. He's just, he's a natural football player. He did not play as fast as his time suggested on his pro day. Like when I watched film, I didn't think he was like over the top, like rock my socks off that much speed. But when you've seen his pro day numbers, you're like, wow, Whoa. I have to go back and watch. Yeah. And I watched, and I'm like, the kid's a football player. Like I have zero doubts about his football ability. I don't know if his numbers and the, I don't know if his field play matches the the track play. Sure. Well, just schematically, it's really two completely different years. If you look at his uh, super productive 2019 season where they, they basically were doing this weird uh, quarterback by committee, like rushing offense with John Rice Plumley and Matt Corral. And Elijah Moore was the only guy getting targeted and he was getting targeted underneath his eight out was super low. And then Kiffin really just installed his system and was like, uh, yeah, John Rice Plumley, you're, you're running back, go sit on the bench and put Matt Corral in. And they started tossing the ball around and, you know, like getting in these shootouts and it was a completely different. Look, Elijah Moore went from this guy who was like a bubble screen slot guy only to this do it all weapon who could be an outside wide receiver and was uh, lined up out there. And, and getting targeted out, targeted as an outside wide receiver like over a quarter of the time and being even more efficient as an outside wide receiver than he was this bubble screen underneath gadget or even just slant wide receiver. So he showed he could do everything. And so for me, he can do anything anywhere for any team. And I think that's why down the stretch people are really coming on strong to him because when they put the whole picture together they see this progression and development of a player like wow he's way more than just a slot wide receiver and that's why most everyone was wrong in their assessment and not not understanding that well no i'll rephrase that anyone who didn't rank justin jefferson really highly last year and said he was going to struggle because he didn't face press and because he was just just a slot guy just didn't understand the whole picture uh, right. Elijah Moore has that kind of potential to just be the wide receiver one in this class and, and kill any expectation because of his versatility and because of his ability to learn every kind of role that you want to put him in. So yeah, he could be a scat back. He could be your slot wide receiver and he could be your, be your outside, um, you know, Z wide receiver. If you want, uh, he can do a lot of things. And so, yeah, I, I think I, it sounds like to me we just got bored of talking about bad football players and Kadarius Tony and just moved to an actual good one and uh, Elijah Moore. So uh, for me, I, I just looping back to Tony for a sec. I, I think if Tony does get first round capital, for me it won't be double counting and moving right. him up. 
it will just because I don't think I'm there with you too. I don't think he's going to be a first round pick. I think that there's a lot of buzz. There's always that guy that there's a lot of buzz for, and then it just doesn't happen. If you put his whole resume against a you know maybe a dozen other guys in this class, there's no way he should be going over them as a wide receiver prospect. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he gets top top thirty capital, but I'm hey, not. I'm not well, too excited. If uh, if your team drafts, if you're listening to this and your team drafted Kadarius Tony. Just be happy they didn't draft Tutu Atwell. Could always be that. <laughs> we, that no, like, that's another name. Fifty pounds or something. Yeah, he was one forty nine, I think, when they weighed in uh, in Indianapolis, actually. And so he was a little bit heavier than that, I think, at the actual Louisville uh, pro day. But still, uh, yeah, n- not exactly what you want out of a guy who has a really nice production profile. But uh, just back to Elijah Moore real quick, because he. Uh, I think in Debbie fantasy football and uh, dynasty guys who've been looking at these players for years, um, we all thought that Rondell Moore was going to be valued higher than Elijah Moore. But Elijah Moore, we're realizing by the analytics, by the film, is right up there in the elite tier just next to all these other guys. And Rondell Moore has been slipping down just because, well, it turned out that he's actually only five foot seven. So uh, what, what could improve or drop either one of them? down your rankings like based on what happens with the nfl draft i don't know what happened with rondale moore and i love how you transition from elijah moore to rondale moore because i think that they're both natural football players like yeah. you could look at some players that the game just comes easier to oh, i yeah. believe the game comes easy to both these receivers um rondale moore was someone that again when before the pro day numbers came out he was someone that again it was more like i want i want someone that's creative with their offense to get her hands in this guy like i believe that he could be a baller in the nfl if used correctly and it's like you wonder if teams like carolina could find a way to get him on their team and then use him in a way that curtis samuel was this past season um you, you think about teams like the saints you think about well, i mean obviously the chiefs can make anybody work um because yeah. they know what they're doing but you just look for the opportunities like a creative play caller because again he's not not that perimeter wide receiver that is just going to to win he's going to get 140 targets a year and he's just going to be that possession style receiver that your quarterback can throw it up to in, in problematic situations he tested off the charts athletically uh, but that size is what I think drove him down a lot of boards but in reality the dude's just he's he's a player and I I wound up mocking him to the Saints uh in the second round I had mm-hmm. them trading up a couple spots to get Rondale Moore I, and, and I even said it in my draft I said I feel like he's going to go before this there just hasn't been enough buzz around him. I don't, I don't, he's just, he's a football player. And that's the thing is the tape is going to speak louder than anything this year. And it should, as it should, it always really should. Um, and Rondale Moore's got some good tape. Um, they're, they're, his hands can like are a little inconsistent at times. But again, if he falls into the right offense, I feel like someone's going to get a steal in the second round with Rondale Moore. I think so too. I, I for a long time, uh, many people were mocking Rondale Moore in the first round, but he's been dropping and dropping, and you know, around his expected draft position is now almost down to pick fifty at this point, uh, which that feels like an absolute steal when you get a guy who, as a true freshman, broke out and won the Paul Hornung Award for being the most versatile football player in the entire country, uh, and and did so taking up you know thirty plus percent of the entire Purdue offense through the air. Uh, at age 18, dominating everybody, including Ohio State, essentially single-handedly knocking Ohio State out of the 2018 playoff, which was hilarious, and I still give all my Ohio State buddies a hard time for it, even three years later. But Rondell Moore, uh, just a complete unicorn. Because, I mean, dude, the dude's 5'7", so like we've basically... We've almost never really seen somebody like him. Somebody who bro- broke out as early as he did and then had this weird 
off and on injury struggle and then he opts out because of there's a pandemic. There's like no precedent that we have to understand this guy other than the fact that he basically had a perfect production profile after one season. Uh, and and he ran a 4-3 basically in high school with squatting small cars as an 18-year-old and uh, but is also five foot seven, probably from lifting all the small car- cars. It just kind of made him a little shorter. But I, seriously, it's just such a weird prospect to project. I really hope the right team trades up for him in, you know, a pick 40 range. And that's that's he lands in a nice spot because. If he's in the wrong spot because of his stature, because of teams just might not know what to do with him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he could just disappear. And I, I would hate that, for, you know, being basically the best thing to happen to Purdue football, my alma mater ever. So uh, outside of like Drew Brees. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, really hope Rondell Moore actually works out. But I'm, I'm saying in the range of probably at this point in between picks 40 and even 60 uh, for him. And so if he drops below there, I'm, I'm starting to get worried. Uh, but Outside of that, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try to stay away from confirmation bias. And even if he creeps up even a little bit higher, I'm not gonna move him too far. Just because there's almost no historic precedent of a player like him hitting in the same way. There's basically also no evidence of a player like him missing because he is the wide receiver unicorn. But but anyway, to round out the show here, just with this topic of uh, kind of uh, changing our minds and really, really looking at players that we're thinking might be super reliant on their actual draft capital or or really reliant on the exact landing spot. Are there any players that you're specifically paying attention to that could swing up or drop down in a huge way uh, based on draft capital or uh, landing spot? There are definitely a couple Uh, running backs are obviously opportunity driven, but wide receivers specifically, I think uh, someone like Terrace Marshall is someone I'm watching where he lands uh, because I believe he, someone can draft him as kind of like that number three, number four wide receiver and kind of see if he's that number one, or they draft him to be that number one, number two receiver where it's like they they're looking in a, in a draft class that has limited big body wide receivers. I do anticipate him going early in the second round, uh, even with those concerns. I think that some teams may leak those concerns to say, Oh, he popped up on the medical red flag, hoping he's going <laughs> to fall to them. Um, so, you know, if he's used, in, if he's drafted in the second round, Terrace Marshall is going to get opportunity. If he falls into the third round because of those injury concerns, I think that I'm going to lower him down my draft boards. Someone that can move up a ton. There's actually two players, Dwayne Eskridge, love him out of Western Michigan. I would love to see him go at like the end of the second round of the Packers. I mean, I, I believe he'd be an awesome compliment to Devonte Adams in terms of what the Packers can do with him. He's someone that can move a lot. And one player that is like my sleeper in this class that I'm, I'm going to go to bat for him. Cade Johnson out of South Dakota yes. state. I love that little jackrabbits like he he's he's I mean he grinds man he's out there he's he works like he doesn't have all the physical tools that some of these wide receivers do but he will outwork you and it's like wide receivers like that I could I could deal with and he reminds me a little bit of Tyler Lockett doesn't have the top end speed that Lockett does um, but he can get open open and it's like if the right NFL team like just takes a shot on him. Like legitimately, if he goes on day two, I'm going to be stoked. I'm going to be celebrating 4K Johnson. Whereas if he falls to day three, it's more like, all right, this dude's going to have to overcome a lot of stuff like he has throughout his career, basically being a, a smaller receiver. But I dig him a lot. Uh, K Johnson, he's my number 10 wide receiver in this class. So nice. um, glad you I like mentioned, him more than most. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned those two specifically. Eskridge and Cade uh, Johnson because the competition questions are real, right? Because yeah. Dwayne Eskridge basically just played a bunch of MAC teams that are full of really bad football players. Cade Johnson didn't even play Division Division One football. He was playing right. for the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, and you know broke out in a huge way pretty early on. And if you look at his production profile from any standpoint, like he he was taking up basically half the receiving offense uh, like three years ago uh, for South Dakota State, and so. 
uh, his adjusted production index, which is a metric that I built out for Rotoviz, is 98th percentile among drafted NFL wide receivers. Now, obviously, the lower competition, those guys with that kind of pro- profile, they're not as much of a slam dunk for day two capital. But that kind of that kind of uh, number, typically, even for G5 schools sees day two capital so if he sneaks in there that that's going to be somebody who's rising way up draft wards that's definitely a name i'm looking at i just haven't talked about it as much because frankly i haven't heard a whole lot of people talk about him throughout this process outside of you know like last fall and uh, a couple of Debbie discussions, you know, hey, don't don't forget Kay Johnson. But Dwayne Eskridge, he's an interesting guy because he was, you know, that converted. He was a defensive back for part of his career, <laughs> had mm-hmm. al- almost broke out like two or three years ago, but then went back to defensive back. And then uh, this final year in Western Michigan puts together the most efficient passing season in modern football history, which is just hilarious because it was obviously a small sample, only six games. And a lot of the the way he's he's winning, it's on, on the same exact RPO slant play, but still he's he's intriguing because of that speed. Uh, so if he gets capital, he's another name to watch. I'm not super high on him myself just because I I see him being a little bit more limited, but he's definitely a name to watch that I would adjust if the NFL said, "Hey, we believe in that guy." But Terrace Marshall, yeah. glad you mentioned him because I've seen him as high as like wide receiver two for some people. Uh, and as low as like wide receiver 10 for some people. And, uh, you know, some people have health questions with him. Uh, but I see a guy who just scores touchdowns like crazy. Like he was leading the entirety of college football in 2019 in touchdown percentage playing on a bum ankle. Like he like almost one out, out of every three receptions for him was a touchdown. He was almost on that same exact pace before he opted out last fall as well. And so Terrace Marshall, uh, it's it, he needs a quarterback that trusts him to score but if he I mean he has that ability to find the end zone in a way that no one else does in this class he has a very unique resume in that regard so that's somebody I'm definitely watching too but I I think he's probably going to be a round two guy if he drops below that I have concerns if he's around one guy that says a lot about his opportunity and I will be adjusting uh, just ever so slightly Uh, a couple other guys I am paying attention to just because they're not exactly I guess how you draw a wide receiver up perfectly, you know, like Anthony Schwartz, he's an Olympic sprinter. Like he's had, he actually, he was actually slated to participate in the uh, Tokyo Olympics. Like he's, he would be the men's four by one, like sprinting team. So when I saw him clock at 4.26, 40 at his, at his pro day, I was like, man, that's actually kind of slow. Like, like that's, he's got that kind of crazy speed. So if he actually gets day two capital, he's somebody I'm definitely intrigued by. Tutu Atwell, he's hilarious because he's 150 pounds. We mentioned him earlier, but He's got like a 91st percentile adjusted production index. He's got a decent breakout age. Analytically, he looks nice except for his weight. Uh, so if, if a team drafts him inside day two, uh, at this point, I would be surprised by that. Uh, but he's been mocked inside round one, even as like what recently is what, a month and a half ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was going 28 in a lot of different uh, mocks. People were starting to put him there and people started talking about the Bears. I'm like, stop it. Uh, Tony <laughs> was another one of those guys. Like, uh, and that's the thing. I just, I just pull up my notes on Tutu Atwell. And it's, to be fair, my critique at the beginning of the show, it was more like, be happy. D- don't be happy if your team drafts him in the first round. Like, if you get Tutu yeah. Atwell in like the third or fourth round, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. It's like, okay, cool. Um, I am, wor- I am really worried about his size. Like, he's like legit dangerously small. Yeah. Like, Devontae Smith, I'm not worried about. Like, I, that dude's a, he's a football player. Like, through and through, I would take my chances on him, uh, but Tutu Atwell, no. But I, I did want to throw in real quick before I, I forget. 
So Dwayne Eskridge and Kay Johnson, mm-hmm. part of the reason, like, so the senior bowl is like a big thing for a lot of people. Like yeah, they go down there and they, they do all that stuff. Uh, I wanted to watch those two in particular. Like, so when they went to the senior bowl, it was just like Kay Johnson. It, I, I've watched his games, obviously, and the, the, the kid balled out. But you watch the senior bowl footage from Kay Johnson and you're just like, Dude, he just made these guys look stupid, like like legit dumb. And these are these are players that are coming into the NFL that are going to be drafted in day two. And it's like he made him look terrible, like he outworked everyone there. And I think that he won over a lot of coaches because that was really the only chance they had to see against legit competition where it was like, OK, this kid's coming in. He doesn't play a D1 school. We just need to see him in person. And I think he turned a lot of eyes his way. And again, I don't know if he's going to earn his way in a day two. I hope he does, because, again, that's going to get him that opportunity that we that we seek out. But if he goes in the fourth round, it's like, OK. But again, once you start going that fifth, sixth, seventh round, that's when things get tougher and tougher. And you're more of like a, just a depth chart piece at that point. Exactly. Well, and, and a couple more running backs before we sign off here. But Kenneth Gainwell and Chuba Hubbard, their respective draft position, according to the same tool I alluded to earlier, Kenneth Gainwell's going around pick 90, Chuba Hubbard around pick 140. Uh, so are you going to, if they're drafted much higher than those marks or much lower than those marks, are you going to change how you feel about either one of those players? Gainwell is certainly someone I'm willing to move up if he lands in the right spot. Um, you know, uh, we, we could talk about teams that utilize their running backs in the passing game. I think that the Falcons are an interesting team for him to go to. Uh, you have Arthur Smith there, and I know that he's like the power back, and it's like Mike Davis is there, but I think Gainwell would be an excellent compliment to him, and if given the opportunity, Gainwell can carry the ball more than I think people think he does. I think that people are looking at him as a, the best receiving back in this class, which he is. Uh, it's just a matter of can he get it into an offense where – he's going to get opportunity on the ground. Like all I'm looking for is like 12 carries a game. If I can get 12 carries a game, he's going to be utilized in the passing game, no matter what you don't draft him and not use him in the passing game. Unless maybe you're Matt Nagy. Um, <laughs> and then Chuba Hubbard. I'm not big on Hubbard. I know we disagreed about this on our, in our pod, uh, the pod we had you on with. Um, he was someone that I was excited to watch when I sat down uh, to watch the film in this class. Cause I watched him last year um, because he was supposed to come out last year. Yeah. And then after 2000 yards. Back. Yeah. Yeah, and it was obviously a bad decision. Um, but like watching him in 2020, it, it I don't know. I, I, I didn't get it at all uh, with him. So, I mean, I, some people are talking about him potentially going undrafted. I don't think that's going to happen. But even if he, if he falls in the fourth or fifth round, running backs just, they almost never get an opportunity. You just need to take a look at depth charts. You know, like, is there a team like the 49ers? Like, for example, Wayne Gallman just signed with the 49ers. I know that Kyle Shanahan is a guy that's going to play all his running backs and Wayne Gallman might have an opportunity to shine. That's an opportunity. That's a, that's a team that he can go to where it's like, he might get a chance. Uh, whereas if you go to a team like the Panthers and you're drafted and you know, in the sixth round, it's like, you're not going to get a chance unless Christian McCaffrey's hurt. And they may even add another back because they only use six round capital on you. So all that stuff does matter, particularly with the running backs, running backs. You need to, no matter who you like, who you don't like, you need to go back and reevaluate after the draft class, has kind of taken place because if they fall outside the first two rounds, it's like every round gets really bad. And again, once you get to like the fifth round, it's really bad. It's essentially the same as like a sixth or seventh round type player. So yeah, if if he's fifth round or later, especially um, even though I liked him, especially after his 2000 yard season, you know, really hurt him playing with bad quarterback play, the worst version of an Oklahoma state offensive line that we've seen in, in the last few years. Uh, and playing through a high ankle sprain, just all together, it was just a perfect storm of everything that he was fighting through. And uh, it, it was such an important year for him to prove that, hey, I'm not just a one-year wonder. 
Uh, I am still this explosive playmaker. Uh, so it, I'm, I'm going to be watching his capital at the running back position, maybe more closely than anyone else in this draft cap in, in this draft class and his landing spot, because he's a guy who, if you give him a runway, if it's a good offensive line situation, he's already shown he is going to absolutely ball. So I think he could kill some expectations uh, that a lot of people have, but if he does not get that capital, that's going to be a huge, well, huge he, nope. Yeah. If he goes day two, I'll be with you. Like, again, if he goes day two, that means that the team that drafted him went and watched 2019 and said, we know what this running back can do. Pay no attention to 2020. (laughs) It was a weird year for everybody. Let's just look at it and basically believe in what you saw in 2019. And again, if you get him in third round there, you still have decent capital. But again, falling into day three is, is, is a big downgrade. Yeah, and that's pretty much the the truth for running back just in general. Every single year we see it time and time again mattering in big ways at the running back position. But before we sign off, you know, I mean, a lot of our listeners know who you are and appreciate your work and all you do at Fantasy Pros, all you've done in in past years, even for uh, Pro Football Focus. And, you know, I were just talking just yesterday uh, about, you know, how you – uh, came to be where you are now. And so some of the listeners that may be aspiring to a, a career in football or fantasy football or something like that, I know, I mean, my first podcast was called Dynasty Life. And it was basically telling the stories of people in the in, in the industry and, and how they got into it, where they made it, how they made it. And I, for some reason, didn't actually have you on as a guest in that process. So I, I'd love for you to just be able to share a little bit of how you got to where you are uh, with Fantasy Pros. No, yeah, it's 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 a pretty neat story. It's it's definitely unconventional in the fact that it, it was a long time because a lot of people develop they they kind of found me once I got to Fantasy Pros and it was like, oh, it's cool you do this for a living and and th- what happened is like they 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 missed a lot of what happened behind the scenes and like um so back it was all the way back in uh, two thousand and geez what year was it now um, I think it was two thousand and nine or two thousand ten uh, I had back surgery and I was laid up. So I had a fusion on my back and basically they told me it was going to be a year recovery because it was bad. Um, And so I was going through therapy and all this stuff. And I was sitting there on the couch the one day and I was just basically writing about fantasy football players because it's just what I did because I'm I'm a nerd. I mean, I'm the type of guy that kept stats in Madden (laughs) and I cared about those stats. Um, Same. So. (laughs) <laughs> so I was doing that on the couch and my wife basically just uh, she looked at me one day and she's like, what are you doing with all that football stuff? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> why? And she's like, why don't you start a website? I was like, who the hell wants to read what I have to say? And she's like, I think you might be surprised, like because she had seen me talk with my friends and stuff about football. And I I was definitely passionate about it. So basically, she just said, well, if you had a website, what would you call it? And I was like, I don't know. Tagsfantasyfootball.com. And uh, about 10 minutes later, she handed me her laptop and said that she had bought the domain and uh, so cool. that I was going to start a website. <laughs> and so then 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 she I hadn't I didn't even know what Twitter was at that point. It was 2011. I, yeah. I just I just remember when I started my Twitter account. Early Twitter. Right then. <laughs> so it was 2011 and we started the Twitter account. I didn't even know what Twitter was at that point. And uh, she's like, this is a way for you to gain followers and this and that. So I'm learning all about this stuff because I, I knew nothing. And like, as soon as I got the first couple emails asking for advice, it was like, OK, cool. And uh, I did, I basically, I ran my own website for three years without making a dime. And in fact, for those content creators out there, you know this, if you've ever done your own site, it actually costs you money to do what you're doing. So not only are you sacrificing time with your family and your friends, but you're, you know, you're, you're, you're paying to have the website up, you're paying for the domain, you're paying for that stuff. And um, which was, which is cool. I enjoyed doing it. So that's why I kept doing it. And um, eventually it got to the point where if I can go back for a minute, when I first started that website, (laughs) I basically, I emailed the owner of Fantasy Pros. They had just started 
like a year or two prior to that. Yeah, that was still and, brand new then. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I want to be a part of your ranking competition. Can I get in? And it, I just I was trying to find ways to get my name out there. Right. Yeah. And I think this was actually in 2012. And <laughs> he emailed me back and said, oh, hey, you know, we're looking for experienced writers that have had, you know, a site or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, OK, you know, keep me in mind if you ever need anything. Uh, I'd love to be a part of it. He emailed me back like two days later. It was Dave, the owner. And he said, hey, I, I went and looked at your website and it's really in depth. Like you, you wrote a lot on these players. We'd like to have you in the competition and yada, yada. So I joined in 2013 the ranking competition and I started to build a name for myself doing well in the ranking competition. And then uh, it was in 2015, I got offered a part time job with PFF, which I worked for two uh, for a year. Then they offered me a full time year like a full-time position. Yeah. There's a long I remember, story. I remember that when that happened. So yeah. much stuff that goes on in between here that Travis and I talked about yesterday. Um, <laughs> yeah. But basically, you know, offered me a full-time job the next year, but it was just in season. I had a contract until uh, it was February and um, or March. And Fantasy Bros called me in February and said, hey, you know, we're looking to bring on someone to run our content section. Like, because they didn't have really a content side at that point. Yeah, lots and, of ranks uh, and lots of uh, kind of shorters stories yeah. but like not like the intense thing that it is today that, it, that you i mean you've built it into yeah we try i mean i try <laughs> i try and put up basically the idea that behind the content is that you know it's i'm finally given the time to do what i always wanted to do and the, the what i want to do is basically take the notions that people have about things and like you know oh wide receiver declines at 28 years old and i'm like well mm, why are we accepting this as a fact like so i'm actually given the time to research that and figure things out and uh, so basically if there's any ever a, a question that comes across that people have and it's something that i'd want answered myself it's like that, that's what i'd love to do to yeah. find to like you know but whether confirm things deny things whatever but uh I don't know. It's it's a crazy world we're in, and I've now been with Fantasy Pros. This is my fifth uh, season full time with them. So I've been full time in the industry now. This is my sixth season. So it's kind of crazy yeah. um, where, where time is gone. But I'm I'm happy to be here doing it. Yeah, I, that's crazy. That it was that long ago. I didn't even when we were talking about this just yesterday. I was like, wow, that's already been that long ago. But I remember when you like got on with Fantasy Pros and was like, hey, tags, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> so I was like, man, that's that's so crazy. Was, I mean. Uh, it just I, we, I was kind of laughing at myself yesterday like we were having having lunch and I ordered a drink and the lady didn't card me and I just said oh well, <laughs> I guess I'm old now like it, <laughs> that like, happened to me a long time ago uh, yeah so it's just like yeah time flies man well I, I mean I appreciate your time just coming on draft week talking through these rookies telling part of your story and I'm sure our listeners really appreciate that too uh, just uh, understanding how you got here because a lot of people want to do that too. And so you can find Mike at Mike Taglier NFL on Twitter. And uh, Mike, I know you just got your uh, mock draft all done. It's up on fantasypros.com. Is there anything else that you want to kind of pump that's going to be coming out that you're super excited about with, with Fantasy Pros? Oh man, I, I really, I just can't wait for this draft to happen because yeah. I'm able to go through and update the depth charts and uh, actually create my first set of projections for the year. Um, I do an NFL draft grades article, so that'll come out Monday after the draft is done, uh, giving every team a grade. And it's not based on my opinion solely. It's it's based on, did they fill team needs? Did they take value when it was presented? Did they trade back yeah. when they should have? Uh, did they take a player, you know, and with pick number three that they could have gotten at pick number 12? Um, all those things I take into consideration. Um, but yeah, we're doing actually a live stream for the NFL draft. So uh, on it's on youtube.com forward slash fantasy pros. Uh, we're doing uh, last year we had, I think, 80,000 
viewers for night for the first night and basically we just sit there with you guys watch the draft is like a second sc screen experience where nice. we talk about every pick from a team building standpoint we talk about it from a fantasy standpoint and we don't get any commercial breaks so i'm gonna have to pee <laughs> probably for the final two hours of it and i'll hold it in for you <laughs> yeah well that sounds like a blast man i might have to tune in tune in myself i admit uh doing other things uh that evening as well but really appreciate you joining in mike and uh, talking some ball again uh, and listeners, uh, please do uh, check out all, all things Fantasy Pros and all things Rotoviz. We're, we're still putting out a bunch of uh, rookie content right now. I just dropped the uh, brand new version of my adjusted production index, looking at over 40 wide receivers in this class and their production profiles from a few different angles. Uh, please leave a rate and review for this show. It helps a lot. But man, I just can't believe it's already the NFL draft. It's finally here. And I hope everyone and all you guys enjoy it. And as always, if you have any questions on anything we talked about on the show today, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. And I look forward to you joining me soon for many more episodes of the College of the Canton podcast.